Hey everyone, before we begin this episode, we're still sorting out some audio issues. While we won't have the audio dropouts or the crosstalk that we had in the last episode, uh, we're still working through our call software. And on this episode, uh, it cut off uh, about seven minutes before we ended the episode. So the last thing you'll hear is us just talking about Downton Abbey, the TV series, uh, briefly, and there won't be a sign-off like we normally do. Um, that's just, uh, we're still sorting through the kinks, but hopefully we'll have it all sorted by next week. So thank you all for bearing with us and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we'll be talking about It Chapter 2, which came out a couple weeks ago, but we were at TIFF. We were busy with, with TIFF, and so it took a while to get around to that. And now we have both seen it. And since the film has made quite a lot of money and has been out for a couple of weeks, we assume that you have seen it. So if you're listening to this podcast, we are going to be going into spoilers on It Chapter 2 and It Chapter 1. So if you haven't seen those films and don't want to be spoiled, just stop listening and come back when you see them. Also, hopefully our audio quality is better this time. <laughs> yeah, we had – so basically I have this separate third-party call recorder software, and before we started recording, I'm like, oh, there's an update for it. I'll just update it, and I did, and then it wasn't until the show was done. I'm like, this doesn't sound like it's supposed to. So we're using a different kind of call recording software uh, native to Skype, and we've we've tested it, and it sounded good. So hopefully this will be a lot better than our last episode. We apologize for that. Yeah, unfortunately, we just did not have time to re-record that one. But yeah. um, you basically you caught us on our busiest week ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you can't make it through it, go to Collider.com and look for all of our TIFF coverage, and you can read our reviews and stuff there. Um, so. Yes, exactly. But uh, right now, we're going to be talking about It Chapter Two, which is the sequel to one of the biggest horror films of all time. And you know, it's funny, I. <sighs> So going into it chapter two, I felt like, oh, well, what this is supposed to be is the other half of the story. It's uh-huh. you one know, would think one would think, oh, it's the other half of the story. Then then and it feels like someone and I'm not saying who, but it seems a lot like the studio said, no, 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 no. Just do the first movie again, but with adult actors, but also like make sure you bring back the kids and make sure you have more Pennywise because that's what people liked. So it really feels like a sequel. Like it feels like, oh, just do the same shit, but bigger and more of it, and people will eat that up. And it's it's pretty disappointing, to be honest. Like I was, I I did not expect to like the first it as much as I did. I'm not like a huge Stephen King guy, um, but I felt the first movie was like a really fun roller coaster of like a horror movie. Like it it did a good job. I thought it was really it, it knew how to be creepy in the right ways. It knew how to be scary in the right ways. It really got at what scares us as kids and what you know, unites us and what, you know, tears us apart and, and, but did it through the lens of this sort of, you know, kind of conventional horror story um, where there's a unconventional being that there's a big monster. Um, But it chapter two is just kind of a mess. It really, it doesn't work. No, I was, I was bummed by it too. Um, 
And I liked the first movie. I didn't love it. I wasn't as over the moon about it as some people were. Um, but I thought it was smart and I thought it was handsomely crafted and uh, intriguing, like, you know, interesting and compelling. This movie structurally is just a mess. It's so repetitive in that you're following each character, finding their token. And so we're going full spoilers. We, I assume you've listened if you've seen the movie. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, you know, either wait or just continue to listen because it's pretty dumb because the entire conceit of the movie is that everyone, well, first of all, Mike gets everyone together and they're like, the most important thing is that we all stick together. And they're like, yes, agreed. We all have to stick together. And Mike's like, cool. Okay, now you all need to go off on your own journeys and find your separate tokens by yourselves. So they split up and then they all do the same thing as one another. And so you just follow them sequence to sequence and like each one of them goes and finds a memory interacts with Pennywise in some way is scared and runs away. That's what happens to all of the characters, except for Mike who gets the short end of the stick. Uh, and then they come back together and they're like, Oh, okay. Yes. Perfect. Very important. We all stick together. And then once again, they're like, Hey, let's split up. Uh, and it just goes on and on like that. Even the third act is in itself, its own little repetitive nightmare. And that things, they just keep doing the same thing. They come together and then they go apart and then they come together and then they go apart. And you could trim about an hour off this movie and nothing would be lost. Oh, at least so much of the flashbacks with the kids is just unnecessary. Like You don't need it. And especially because when you get to the end, it's like, oh, yeah, no, the ritual of Jude doesn't work. And the tokens were just a waste of time. We don't actually need these tokens. And there's no. <laughs> you know, it does work, though. Bullying. <laughs> <laughs> But it, the tokens don't even – there's no consistencies to the tokens because, like, you know, for um, – gosh, I'm forgetting uh, the names of the characters. For Ben, you know, his token is this postcard – or no, his token isn't the postcard that he wrote. What is his token? I don't even remember. But, like, it seems like for some of the characters, their token is something super personal. And then for the other characters, it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is just, like, a coin from uh, an arcade that I went to. Yeah, it. The I would say, you know, the, there's a saying that you know the second act is where movies go to die, and I, that has never been truer than with it chapter two. Yeah, it really is. Like, because the first act when they're all kind of coming back together, like you're, I was, I was still was kind of with it. I was kind of with it, like, oh, okay, we're meeting them as adults. It's interesting that they're all sort of trapped by their old baggage. Like they've grown into people who are still suffering from the same problems they had as kids in some way or another. I thought that was kind of interesting. But once they get back together and Mike's like, go find your tokens, the film is just, it. it's like, hey, do you like roller coasters? Okay, here's a roller coaster that's nothing but loops. I'm like, well, that's not a, that just, that's just repetitive. And, and it is, it's like, you know, oh, as a kid, here's a time they were scared by Pennywise. And then, oh, here, here's Pennywise again to show up and scare them. And it's like, what is, and, and it sort of diminishes Pennywise as a threat. Because in the first film, like, they really do have to fight him off. And he, like, gets in some punches. Like, it's, it really is a battle there where you're not sure quite what's going to happen. And in this one, he's like, hi, I'm Pennywise. And they're like, ah, Pennywise. And then they run away. And then Pennywise's <laughs> like, I'll get you next time. And then, then later, you know, like, nothing can happen. Like, nothing. And, and it actually works against itself because the film sets it up to be like, oh, Stan kills himself. Anyone could be on the board. Like, as adults, like, that doesn't, that means they're not safe. But then the film goes to great lengths to show, no, they're safe, at least until the end, because Pennywise isn't going to do shit. 
They're just going to go through this whole little token rigmarole again and again and again and again. And it's just lousy screenwriting that sort of misses why the first one worked. And it doesn't even like thematically, it doesn't even go to anything. It's just it is needless busy work for your characters. Yeah, Pennywise has five chances to kill them each when they each have their own individual confrontations with him. And he's just like, spooked ya! And then he lets them run away, which doesn't make any sense. It, it, it's so stupid. And I'd, I'd counter, I actually, the moment that I felt the film going off the rails and when I knew that, like, because, you know, I saw this film when I got back from TIFF, so the buzz was already pretty bad. But I was hoping, you know, I would at least find it compelling or some interesting facets of it. But the moment when I was like, oh, boy, this is just not going to work at all, is it is the Jade of the Orient sequence, which is all the characters coming together and reuniting for the first time in 27 years. It should be this joyous, raucous, really fun, really snappy, witty scene. And it's just lifeless. It's like they're pulling teeth to try and get jokes and it's edited to death to make it seem like they're all having a good time. But it like it did not that did not translate to me at all. I was not it it's a scene that should be a ton of fun and instead it's just kind of a slog and a little confusing, which I think is just the theme in the entire film. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I then also think the film kind of tips it ha- tips its hand too much with how it's gonna scare you, which is just this lifeless CGI crap. Yeah. Like there's no there is no scare in it chapter two that comes anywhere close to what they do in it chapter one with like the slide projector, which is like slowly building tension, really yeah. kind of upping that. And then in, in it chapter two, like the the Chinese uh, uh, restaurant sequence, it's like, oh, things are popping out of the fortune cookies. And it's like it's a bat wing with an eyeball or some shit like. Yeah. It's, and it looks it looks like something that came out of like a PlayStation three game. Like, Oh, uh, it looks cheap. It all looks really cheap and it keeps happening. Like so many of like Pennywise is coming to get you. Like so many of it is just like now Pennywise is this CG thing. And here he is as a CG thing. And like, there's way too much reliance on CGI. And I get that. Like sometimes like you don't have an option there, but I really think that if they had pushed harder for practical effects, it would have made the stuff. It would have made, these this gore and these creepy things feel more immediate and they just don't it's definitely a case of and Muschietti said that he got a lot more money this time around but a bigger budget does not equal a better film um and that like i didn't find a single moment of this movie scary at all uh and i'm like i'm not someone who's easily scared but i did find like you like the slide projector sequence in chapter one was really creepy um, you know, the whole Richie sequence or not Richie, uh, the little boy who gets his arm chopped off Georgie, Georgie. I thought that was just genuinely, uh, unsettling. And there's only one moment moment in the sequel that ever comes anywhere close to it. And it's Pennywise with the firefly, uh, with the little girl, which has absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the plot, but just like atmospherically, it's pretty, pretty creepy. But, you know, after that, it's just all CG and it, it just looks like crap. Yeah, it, it doesn't. I think it's a film that misunderstands why the first film worked as well as it did. I think it's a film that takes a superficial look at why the first movie was popular and then attempts to replicate it and then also do, then replicates it poorly. And so, yeah. you know, I mean, look, those kids from the first film were very good. They do not need to be in the sequel. They no. just don't. They don't like honestly. 
the more that they appear in the sequel, the less the stakes seem to matter because then it like in a weird way, it, it becomes a film that's trading on nostalgia for two years ago from a film that's trading on nostalgia from the 1980s. (laughs) And like, it's one thing to be like, yes, I will tip my hat towards, you know, nightmare on Elm street, but it's another to be like, boy, don't you miss these kids? And I'm like, not really. Like, I mean, they're fine (laughs) actors, but like I saw, you know, Jack Dylan Grazer earlier this year in Shazam. Like I've, I've, you know, you can see Finn Wolfhard in, uh, Stranger Things three. Like it's not like they. No, just you can see off. Finn Wolfhard in The Goldfinch. <laughs> I didn't want to mention The Goldfinch. <laughs> he, he's good. he's pretty good in The Goldfinch. Yeah, but it's not like these actors disappeared off the face of the planet. You know, it's just they're to to go back and be like relive the magic of 2017. Like I just <laughs> why. Do we, is that necessary? Especially when you have a deep bench of talented adult actors like Jessica Chastain and Bill Hader and James McAvoy. Like we don't really need to be like, what is Sophia Lillis up to? I'm like, cause none of you, none, none of you, myself included, went to see her Nancy Drew movie. So this notion that like what the people want is to see what the kids did when we didn't see them in the first movie. I, I just, it's such a waste of time. It's a waste of time. It's distracting because the digital de-aging of Finn Wolfhard and Jack Dylan Grazer is like insane. Finn Wolfhard especially, like they really messed with his face. Because if you've seen The Goldfinch, you know what Finn Wolfhard looked like when they were shooting at Chapter 2. And he, like, he's a 16-year-old kid who went through puberty and he does not look like he looked like in it Chapter 1 anymore. Um, but I found that CGI really distracting and then you have to do – you have to pitch up the voices of Finn Wolfhard and Jack Dylan Grazer. So all of their dialogue is 80. It seems like it's ADR because it doesn't seem like it's actually coming out of their mouths because it's not because they grew up, Um, which is more reason to just like not lean on the kids. Like there's no reason to bring them back and just have this distracting part. But you mentioned, you know, actors like Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, Bill Hader. They also don't have anything to do in this movie. Like their characters are very underwritten Right, for the I think, caliber of performers that they are, and Hater's really good. I mean, everyone said Hater was a standout, and he absolutely is. But even then, I feel like Richie is underwritten; like he doesn't have a ton to do. He's yeah. like the best you can say is that he's the only character with life in him in the yeah. entire movie. Well, and that's the thing because it's a film that has to devote its time to be like, what were they doing as kids? Like, I don't care, don't need it. Put it on the cutting room floor. There's yeah. also stuff that like, why isn't it? Like, why, in terms of uh, adapting from the book. Like there's stuff that they didn't bring to the movie. Like in the book, um, uh, Bill is having problem. Like his wife, like comes to also comes to dairy with him. Um, Jessica Chastain, uh, or what's her face? Um, the girl Beverly, um, her abusive husband follows her to dairy. That's not in the movie, but apparently it was vital that we had the, the Bowers kid, show up even though he fell down a fucking well <laughs> no it's like no 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 he was spit out and now he's back and it's like why what does he what does he bring to this narrative other than we need for uh eddie to get stabbed in the face at some point yeah he's just like a, a different antagonist but even as is there's not a ton of pennywise in this movie so like why are you bringing this guy in now and uh, i mean to get a little bit more in the weeds 
so I had heard that Jason Few. So, and, and this kind of gives you an idea of how movies like this are made. So, if you look at the credits, the screenplay is by Gary Doberman, who co-wrote the first movie, um, and he wrote and directed the new Annabelle movie. What was it? Annabelle Comes Home. Um, he's on a, a bunch of these new line horror films. Uh, and then a guy named Jason Fuchs has a credit called co-producer. Uh, Jason Fuchs co-wrote Wonder Woman. He wrote Pan. Uh, I think he's working on Wonder Woman 2 as well. Um, he's kind of in the WB fold. He uh, So I was listening to an interview with Andy Muschietti, uh, and he said that when McAvoy got to Toronto and got to production, he told Muschietti, like, listen, you know, Bill is – ostensibly the protagonist of the first movie and he really doesn't have anything to do here so they added a sequence and that sequence was the funhouse sequence so in the screenplay as written bill did not go to the funhouse and i don't think bill i don't think that little kid was any part of it so you could take that out of it like literally what is bill doing in this movie so they added that sequence and that was written by jason fuchs uh who has the co-producer credit on it Jason Fuchs also helped flesh out the Richie arc. So Hayter said that when he – he said this in, in some other interview. When he got to Toronto, they got to talking about uh, making explicit you, – you okay there, Matt? Oh, Pennywise got me. Oh, no. <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, Hayter said that when he got to Toronto, they um, got to talking and, and decided to make explicit the uh, fact that Richie's gay in the book. So that also was not – it doesn't sound like it was in the original script. He didn't explicitly say that Jason Fuchs wrote that, but it seems like that was also written, uh, you know, kind of after the fact. So, and Jason Fuchs doesn't have a screenplay credit on the film. That's how credits work. You know, his work probably wasn't uh, deemed essential by the WGA because they're a finicky guild. But it sounds like this movie had a lot of reworking. And I think that it's it's pretty clear that one of the key ingredients to It Chapter One was Kerry Fukunaga. And I mean, if you'll recall, Kerry Fukunaga was originally supposed to write and direct both It Chapter One and It Chapter Two. It was his idea to split it into two movies, one with the kids, one with the adults. Uh, he wrote the screenplay with one of his friends, and he left the project over creative differences, saying that the studio wanted more of a conventional horror movie, uh, whereas he wanted to kind of really dig into the lives of the characters in the first movie and then really get into the the horror stuff in the second one. But he still had a screenplay, a co-writer credit on that first movie. So I think he did – they used a lot of his screenplay for that movie um, or at least used the bones of it. And that was not the case with it, Chapter 2. And you see that they just had a struggle of, of figuring out you know, what to do, how to adapt this book. Yeah, and, and I've heard that you know, it, the, the second part of it, the stuff with the adults, is not as good. And so, like, I sympathize if, like, yeah, if the source material isn't as strong, but at the end of the day, you're supposed to be creative people. <laughs> create something. Yeah. Create something new. The the you have a very you have a strong starting point, which is that after 27 years, it is back. What are you going to do as an adult? And I don't think they ever really tried to answer that question in any meaningful way. Like that should be, and that's what you know as we said at the beginning is this the second half of the story or is this just another, it's just a sequel. And I think yeah. if you look at it as from the other half of the, that could be an interesting story. Like who, what, what scares us as adults? What, what are we held back by as children? And it chapter two has some wishy washy thing about memory. <laughs> like, okay, sure. Yeah. But like, that doesn't, 
Uh, Will Leach wrote a real in his review of it, chapter two for Pace, made a good point that what scares us as adults is very different than what scares us as kids. But for it, chapter two, it they seem to just want to do the same thing. Like it's like, oh, what scare them as kids? As kids will scare them as an adult, and it's just like, I think that. You know, I think that really deprives the film of making the, these characters feel like they've grown and changed or that this is going to be a significantly different experience. So, for instance, the sequence where Eddie gets, you know, vomited upon by the leper, um, again, another way too CGI'd thing that could have yeah. been probably done practically. Um, if I get I understand that that's probably that's I think that's from the book, but I think there's a way to to give that scare and to give that emotion without taking a scene that could have just as easily been in it. Chapter one. Yeah. Yeah. The, that, that scene felt super familiar. And I was like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we down here? And also there's no further explanation of what that room is or what's going on down there. So no, I don't know. Yeah. There's it's, just, it's a bummer. And then there are certain, like, I, one of the things I liked about it chapter two is like the way it sort of made tangible things that are actually scary in your life. Um, like I think like the Beverly's abuse at the hands of her father, like that, that to me was scarier than anything Pennywise does uh, yeah. because it felt real and authentic. And in it chapter two, those moments feel exploitative. Like they don't feel like they actually give a shit about that stuff. It's just there to sort of spook you. So for instance, like, you know, Beverly has an abusive husband. And she he try he he tries to hit her and then she fights back and then she runs away and that's the end of it. That's, yeah, there's no follow up on that at all and no, no exploration of why she's with an abusive husband and and those deep rooted issues. There's a hate crime that leads off the story against a gay man uh, played by Xavier Dolan of all people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a hate crime and rather than being like, what about hate crimes? They're like Pennywise is back. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Like oh, it's like wait whoa. If if your thing is Pennywise is back, there's a different way to sort of tell that rather than being like, hey, a hate crime. <laughs> because like, honestly, like that that scene where the firefly and the little girl, that could have been a good way to sort of show like Pennywise is back. Yeah. Um, but instead they're like, no, 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 let's take a hate crime, which was again is in the book and was inspired by an actual hate crime that was happened, I believe, in Maine. Um, that Stephen King was familiar with. Uh, but in the movie, it just sort of sticks out like a sore thumb. And so again, because it's there and like, you could say like, well, they followed up on it because Richie could be a closeted homosexual. I'm like, that's reaching. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not really follow through. Is it? No. And also just because it's in the book doesn't mean it's good reason to keep it in the movie. Like the right. book also has an, a multiverse, interdimensional turtle and they decided that was too weird you know, for the, movie. The, the book also has an underage gangbang so let's not <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah so i don't know it just like adaptations are tricky and clearly uh you know there were it, i think just it chapter one was a better adaptation like it just worked better narratively it flowed better and it feels like they didn't trust in story or have the right storytellers 
to really follow through on that in it chapter two and save for you know again i think hater's performance is good i think james ransone's performance is good i think jessica chastain and james mcavoy are completely wasted um and something uh that i think it was jason concepcion brought this up at the ringer uh or maybe it was sean fennessy something that uh, like can't be dismissed uh or was a little like it was in the back of my mind is that you're watching the movie and you have McAvoy, you have Hader, you have Chastain, these three giant, huge stars. Uh, and then the rest of the cast is filled out with people that you've never seen before. And so watching Jessica Chastain spur James McAvoy for Jay Ryan, who, like, nothing against that actor, but, like, I don't know who that is. Like, it just plays kind of weird, right? No, that, that worked. That, that was okay that, for me because I like their chemistry and I like the characters. I just didn't buy that chemistry. I didn't I didn't buy any of that. It just oh, I, I liked it. I thought... I, I thought that that was fine for me. Well, and maybe part of it was also too just the fact that like Bill has nothing to do in this movie other than regurgitating his trauma from the first movie. Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah, to me that's that's a problem. That's a Bill problem. Rather so than... I'm like, why is McAvoy here <laughs> if not if not to uh you know smooch Chastain or like have an arc by himself? Why is he here? No, it's it's a fair question. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, it's, it's a film that doesn't really work. Um, I will say, I will, I will, I will now say two nice things about adjacent to it. Chapter two. One is I feel much better about bond 25 now about no time to die because, you know, people are like, Oh, it's, I've been, we've been hearing it's a mess and that it's all going to go off the rails. And I'm like, Carrie Fukunaga has earned the trust folks. Yeah. He has earned the trust. He did between True Detective, Sin Nombre, Jane Eyre, and like his screenplay now for It Chapter One. Let's let's give. Me- I'm not saying like Bond 25. I, again, no time to die. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying it'll be a great film, but I I've got to believe that with his talent and with also Phoebe Waller Bridge, I just I'm willing to give No Time to Die the benefit of the doubt in the way that like I would not be had like some other director were, you know, who had not earned, who had not have a track record of success. Yeah. So that's one nice thing. Uh, the other nice thing I'll say is this. Um, I am not so attached to the it movies that if Warner brothers would be like, we're doing Pennywise begins or whatever the shit that is inevitable. I'd be like, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, same here. I'd be like, you know what? If you want to show me more of, um, uh, Bill Skarsgård as, as Pennywise and sort of like him terrorizing people in the 18th century or whatever. Sure. I'll, I'll watch that. I'll totally watch that. I think it's a good, it's a good take on the character played well by an actor. And if you want to divorce it from the, you know, from these it chapter one and two and just make it about Pennywise doing his thing, I'll, I will watch that movie. Bring in Robert Eggers said it in the 1700s. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I just I think it's not so much like, oh, you know, like I don't want a movie that like explains everything about Pennywise. I just want a movie where like Pennywise, because he comes back every 27 years. So just show me like Pennywise terrorizing people of this generation and Pennywise yeah. terrorizing people of this generation. And that's all that he does. He just fucking ruins lives for two hours and scares people in different ways that is era appropriate. And I'm like, I will watch that. I It's a fun roller coaster. Um, and maybe some people are like, oh, you're missing the point. You're missing the characters. And I'm like, 
so does it chapter two. So, you know, like <laughs> first time. Um, I would just say, you know, look, I think Warner Brothers is like it chapter, the it franchise is a, has proven to be a cash cow for the studio. Uh, even though there was a huge drop off for it chapter two, yeah. uh, I think because of the negative word of mouth. But I also think Warner Brothers has, you know, a huge drop off isn't going to stop them from making probably at least two more Pennywise movies. Yeah. Yeah, no, I and like you don't have to do a Pennywise movie that costs 150 million dollars. No, like, Skarsgård is a star. You don't necessarily have to have other big named actors in the film. So, no, it could really, in a weird way, be similar to these Conjuring movies, where those are just really just about the monster. Like yeah. the, the the title character is the monster, and then you get like a comp a semi competent director or whatever, and you give them a you know a low budget and say you know do your thing and like that's how we have the nun and you know whatever else is coming out of the conjuring universe annabelle so on so forth yeah yeah for sure so yeah those are the nice things i will say that are adjacent to it chapter two that's fair um anything else to say about this movie i'm i've already forgotten it i saw it nearly a week ago and i'm like what i can't remember (laughs) Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be curious to see what the legacy of the it franchise is from here on out. Like the first movie made so much money and was such a big deal, but looking back on it, like, was that just holdover from stranger things fever? Like did, was the movie actually that good? And is the movie actually gonna, you know, stand the test of time that long and does it stand the test of time as half of a whole? Like if the second movie is uh, roundly kind of dismissed, will people bother watching the first one if they know like by completing the story is to feel disappointed? Yeah, I I know for me, I I kept I didn't get I never I kept holding off on buying it chapter one on Blu-ray, even though I liked it. I was like, you know what? They're probably going to release this as a box set with part part two. I'll just wait for the full the full story. And now I'm like, I don't think I really want either, to be honest. I'm good. Yeah, I'm set. You don't want to see the the five hour supercut? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I will be curious if they just excise all the kid stuff from chapter two because it's not necessary anymore, or just move it into like a linear story. Like maybe it's better as a linear story, but if you do that, you only get like what like an hour with the adults. So either way, there's there's some serious missteps. Yes. Um, okay. Well, with that, let's let's move into recently watched. What have you seen lately? So uh, for the last, gosh, like two months, three months, uh, my fiance and I have been working our way through a TV show that neither of us had seen before, uh, but a lot of people, a lot of people had seen, uh, called Veronica Mars. Um, I missed it. Uh, my fiance was trying to figure out why she didn't watch it when it was on the air because she, you know, loved Gilmore Girls and stuff like that. Uh, and the reason is because it aired opposite American Idol in like the mid 2000s. So like. At that point, everyone watched American Idol, uh, especially the audience that would be clued into Veronica Mars. Um, And I found it interesting. It it was honestly kind of tough to get into just because watching watching serialized television from the 2000s is is to use your brain in such a different way now compared to the way stories are told nowadays. Uh, I mean, season one is, is um, gosh, 22 episodes, and there is a serialized arc that's being told, but that serialized arc may not be addressed for like 
three or four episodes at a time. And so you're sitting through case of the week stories. And so my brain was telling me, oh, this doesn't matter because this isn't relevant to the plot overall. And so it took a little rewiring and for me to become endeared with the characters, which I eventually did, um, to kind of like get into the groove of like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll just sit and chill out and hang out with Veronica Mars and the characters for an episode, even though it's not addressing the larger murder mystery at the center of this season. Um, and that was interesting to me because nowadays you watch a 13 episode season of television and every single episode is absolutely relevant to the larger plot that's going on. Um, and I don't watch like NCIS or procedurals like that because they're kind of seemed like a waste of time. But uh, that, that was I found that kind of striking. We are now in the most recent season. Uh, we have a couple episodes left, so I haven't finished it yet. But. I like the show a lot. I, I'm really glad that I dug into it. It's on Hulu. Uh, I think Kristen Bell is tremendous. And uh, the guy who plays Logan Eccles, uh, I, I thought was really good. I, I did. Jason Doring. Jason Doring. I was not familiar with Jason Doring. Uh, and as my colleague Haley Fouch um, uh, commented to me, uh, his charisma was so strong that he essentially had just like sexed his way into becoming the the male lead of the show, even though he was not cast as such. Because um, it's clear from the first like half of the first season, Logan is not meant to be like the big like Lothario male character, but he was just so charismatic that it was like, well, that's the way we're gonna write it now because this guy. Which to me is smart. I mean, that's like follow follow your characters, follow your actors, like because if you stick to a plan at the cost of all else, you will get how I met your mother. <laughs> yes. God. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've enjoyed it. Season three was weird. Uh, it essentially reboots itself halfway through the season, but I understand that like that was the season where they were struggling in the ratings and trying to stay alive. And the show got canceled right after that. Um, so we've seen the movie, which was fine. And uh, watching the most recent season now, which I think is a really interesting evolution of the show because it starts as the story of like a teenage private eye in high school. And so now she's like an adult. And so is tackling some more adult themes and issues that would be relevant to her as an adult and not continuing to treat her as um, you know, this naive teen girl. So and she was never that naive, too. I mean, part of no. part of what gives the show its edge in those first three seasons is that it's a pretty hard boiled show that's dealing with some real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot you're like a film noir like buff. So, of course, this was right up your alley. Oh, yeah. No, I watched all for I watched the first three seasons while they aired. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's really good. And I love her chemistry with her father. Um, it's I think it's a really smartly written, uh, really well acted, well acted show. Um, so yeah, if you have heard of Veronica Mars and we're thinking about diving in, I think it's well worth your time. Just uh, be aware that it takes a little bit, at least it for me, it didn't for my fiance, but it, for me, it took a little bit of a, an adjustment period to be like, oh, okay, I have to kind of rewire my brain to enjoy this show. Cool. Um, I've also been watching a show because I had to watch it for the movie, which is Downton Abbey. Uh, I went to go do, see the, do, the movie. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Downton Abbey is so pleasant. Uh, so I had stopped watching it like after season three and then with the movie coming up, uh, my wife and I want, you know, we was like, let's, let's get ready for the movie. Let's, let's finish the show. She had finished it, but was willing to rewatch it with me. And I got sucked back into that world. And I saw the movie last night and my reviews now on the site, but it's just, it's a pleasant world to be in. I think the thing that amazes me most about Downton Abbey is that it works in spite of what it, sh in spite of not itself, but, what you would think would be strikes against it, which is that 
in an era where people are very mad about income inequality and how the 1% are suctioning up all the wealth, Downton Abbey is like, can't the aristocracy and their servants live in peace? And the answer <laughs> is yes. And so like, it's just, it's a very comforting fairy tale that like coasts on simple melodrama and basically just characters being nice to each other. Like it's, it's a, it's a show that's meant to be pleasant. And it's not that uh, Julian Fellows, who, who's the, showrunner and the you know head writer creator on this uh, on the show and the writer of the movie it's not that he's like ignorant of these things because he also wrote Gosford Park which is a much meaner film yes. <laughs> um but like Gosford and Gosford Park's amazing it's just he understands that that side is there but with Downton Abbey he's like I'm going to tell something more pleasant and wistful and we're and the fact that it works is kind of amazing because you know you shouldn't really be like, you know, I don't really care. I sh why should I care what happens to Lady Mary and if she stays wealthy or not? Or, but it's like, you do. You do. It's like, you need to, you and Cousin Matthew need to figure it out, Lady Mary. Like, it's just amazing. Like, what you think you, like, what you suddenly care about watching Downton Abbey. Um, and the movie is, has that same sort of pleasantness to it. Uh, I saw it last night with the full house and it's just it's kind of funny, you know, we go to see like the latest Marvel film and all the geeks are like, yeah, there's that character I love doing the thing that I like. And then it's like, you know, why shouldn't older viewers, you know, why shouldn't, you know, my mom or my mother-in-law get a movie like that, that they can enjoy? Like what, why do, why are they, why should, you know, cause they're not gonna go see the Marvel films, but Downton Abbey is right up their alley. They love these characters. They love seeing them. And I think, you know, it's uh, it's a good it's good for them. And I, I, I like these characters, too. And I, I thought the film was was perfectly pleasant. I tapped out. I don't know what season I tapped out, but it got like it, it is a very pleasant show. But it got to the point where I was like, again, with the oh, my God, someone's coming to dinner. It just got it started feeling really repetitive to me. And I just did not care. And then by the time you've got Carson with you know shacking up with whoever that lady's name is I'm mrs like, Hughes. show some goddamn respect yeah i'm like i guess sure why not <laughs> so the episode's gonna pile up on my dvr and then i eventually i think i tried to watch this series finale and it was two hours long and i got like 20 or 30 minutes into it and i was like i don't really need to know how this ends because i know that it ends pleasantly so I, Your mileage I, may vary. Yeah, I was surprised at how much it kind of sucked me back in. Like season four, yeah. I think it's a little rough. I think it gets a little too dark and a little too like it has trouble sort of recalibrating after some sort of cast upheavals that I will not spoil. Well, and that's I think that's the show's biggest problem is that it is a, it is a British series that should have gone for a British run, but it was so popular on PBS that they turn it into like because in Britain shows end after two or three seasons. Well, you didn't you didn't let me finish. I also think season five is a bounce back season that really works very well. Mm. So 